Well, the story's told of a young man who is an attorney who just passed his bar exam. And he's excited. He's setting up his office and he's got all his books arranged and he's got his administrative assistant out front. And he hears her talking to somebody and thinks, oh, my first client. I, I better look kind of busy. And as the door opens, he picks up his phone and he goes, uh, yes, uh, I'm very busy today, but we might be able to work in. I've got uh, some stuff uh, lined up. And uh, just a minute. Uh, yes, sir, come on in. Uh, how can I help you? And the man kind of looked kind of puzzled. And he said, um, I'm here from the phone company. Yeah? He said, to hook up your phone. I think that's a microcosm of our prayer life. There's kind of a disconnect. We kind of pray and we're not sure what we hear well and we don't really understand how prayer works. How can I go to God? Uh, prayer is hard work. It's one of the main disciplines of the spiritual walk when Christ's on the earth. The people, they prayed and they fasted and they tithed. But the real emphasis was on prayer. And the challenge is... To go to God one-on-one, -on -one, sincerely. Because you see, the devil isn't afraid of me. But he's afraid of who's inside of me. And prayer becomes spiritual warfare. Martin Luther was one of the great prayer warriors of all time, I would say. And in his latter days, they asked him, what was one of your biggest regrets? And he said, I regret that I only prayed two hours a day. And then they said, well, when your schedule got tight and, and you were pressed for time, what would you do? And he said, I prayed more. The Romans and the Greeks at the time of Christ, their life revolved around prayer. They believed in a pantheon of gods. The gods were mostly connected with uh, the physical nature of wind and rain and futility or fertility and uh, they would pray to these gods and they believed that they needed to say special magic words to get their attention and then if they got their attention they needed to repeat these to keep their you know focus on what was needed and when Jesus comes on the scene he says when you pray Go into your room and close the door and pray to God. There's a time for corporate prayer and there's a time for prayer meetings. But the bulk of our prayers should be one-on-one -on -one with God. And Jesus said, you need to pray sincerely. Not like you hear these Romans and Greeks pray with their mantra going on and on. I found myself a number of years ago at the entrance of a Buddhist temple as they started their prayer worship service. And the drums started to beat. And I watched the monks orchestrate through the room. Aum. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Don't just have this vain repetition, but have sincere prayer.
And he said, pray strategically, and I'm going to give you a template. When you pray, don't pray these words I'm going to tell you, but pray like these. I would say one of the most interesting questions that anybody asked Jesus occurred in Mark 11. In Mark 6, we see the Lord's Prayer. And again, in Luke 11, we see the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew, I think it said Mark, but it's, it's in Matthew. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's early in His ministry. In Luke, it's late in his ministry. It's in his third year of ministry. And these disciples, for three years, have watched Jesus change water into wine. The blind to see, the deaf to hear. And they come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going to say, I've watched The Greeks and the Romans pray. I've watched you pray. I want to know how to walk on the water. I want to know how to raise the dead. Yet they saw in Christ the importance and the power of prayer. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Lord's prayer, for the template that he's provided for us. Help us this morning. Allow the message to penetrate our hearts and our minds so that when we leave this place today, we will never be the same. Amen. They call it the Lord's Prayer. It really should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus doesn't need to pray and ask for forgiveness, but it's known as the Lord's Prayer. And he starts by saying, Our Father. That just, I kind of blow by that. I don't really give it much thought, but when you break that down, our is family. And you can't be part of our unless you've accepted Christ as your Savior. God loves us, but sin separated us from God. And Jesus came and saved us from a death on the cross. And I need to know that, and I need to believe that, and I need to accept that. And if I do that, I become part of our. And then he says, Father, the heavenly God has adopted me and has adopted you to be part of his family. I have no reason or rights to do that unless he loved me enough to die for me. The truth be known, a Jew at that time didn't dare utter the name of God, let alone call him Father. If he did, it would be blasphemy. If I'd been one of those disciples, I'd go, whoa, 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 you can't say that. It wasn't until about a thousand years later that the rabbinical writing started to include and honor God and call him Father. It's blowing their mind away. I can go to God and call him Father? The problem had to do with the perception 
of who God is. And now we're part of the family, our Father. And as Christians today, I think we overemphasize the daddy part of Father. He's a loving Father. We can, we can embrace that. But we kind of shun away the fear of God. We come to service casually. We take our worship kind of haphazardly. There needs to be a healthy fear of God. When we say our Father, we recognize we're adopted, we're family, we're not alone. We have a God who has adopted us. Then it's, it's interesting to me that he says, who art in heaven? I mean, yeah, where do you think he is? But I think he added that because the Jews at the time would think, he can't be possibly talking about God in heaven because I can't even mention his name. And he said, no, the God we're praying to is the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent force of the universe. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you that he sits on the circle above the earth? He created the universe and the stars and he numbered them. We're praying to the God that's above all names. Then he says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed's a fancy word for holy. And he's not saying your name is holy. He's saying make my name holy. Commentaries tell me that God has about 72 different names. Names describing his character and his attributes. Jehovah Jireh and Nissi and Shalom and Adonai and Elohim. And they just go on and on. But he says, hallow my name. So you say, well, how do I do that? You do it by trusting him. Worshiping him. Obeying him, following him. Helen Keller was well known for being born deaf and blind. Graduated from Harvard, great political activist. And when her caregiver introduced the concept to God to Helen, she said, I know always knew there was a God. I just didn't know his name. The name of God. Needs to be hallowed. Then it says, Thy kingdom come. I find the kingdom of God to be extremely confusing to me. I've got a 500 page book that describes what the kingdom of God is. And there's modern, and there's ecclesiastical, and there's millennial, and there's, and it just goes on, messianic. There's just all these different kinds of kingdoms of God. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. But when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, those Jews knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about when they're going to pound their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not fight against nation. 
He was talking about the messianic kingdom. He was talking about when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, come now, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God. I used to joke to my mentor saying, I just wish he'd write my will for my life with lipstick on the mirror. Maybe I'd get it. But as you study the will, some believe there's like three kinds of God's will. Most of us think two. But there's the sovereign will of God. It's his decree. We don't know it. We can't affect it. When he spoke and the universe came into being, sovereign will of God. When he said, let there be light, sovereign will of God. When he said, this is my son, sovereign will of God. There's a preceptive will of God. And that is when he challenges us to read, to pray, to follow. Not to steal and murder and the whole list of things that he's asked us challenged us to do and I can push away from that but when he says thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're praying that the reality of heaven invades the reality of my life our church our community that the earth becomes a mere image of heaven in the classroom, in the boardroom, in the locker rooms, and that the manifestations of God, His glory, becomes part of our community. We're praying that His will, which is done perfectly in heaven, is duplicated here on earth. And then the prayer or the template shifts a little bit. And He says, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And I think the men or women who have gone before us that made the acronym for prayer of ACTS, A-C-T-S, took the Lord's Prayer and said, okay, A is adoration. I should start my prayers by hallowing His name. And C is confession, and I'm going to pray for forgiveness of my sins. And T is thanksgiving, and that's what He's talking about. Give me this day I'm not praying for tomorrow. I'm not praying for next week. I'm putting my trust in Him right now. The very air that we breathe. Do you know the complexity of that? Oxygen. There's about 20% oxygen in the air. We breathe in. It comes in down our windpipe trachea, down in the bronchioles, down in these little tiny microscopic sacs in our lung. And everything has to be just perfect. pH and temperature and moisture and osmotic pressures. And if everything's right, the oxygen particle from the air passes across the membrane and miraculously on the other side of the membrane is a red blood cell that has hemoglobin that attracts the oxygen. The oxygen says, oh boy, we better get out to the spleen. Zips out to the spleen, drops it off the spleen. The spleen takes it, creates energy. That goes on every breath that we take. It's mind-boggling. 
how dependent we are on the God of this universe. If we want to develop a close, meaningful relationship with him, we need to begin to grasp our dependency on him. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. The world worries about that stuff. I want you to seek me and my righteousness first. And then all these things will be added. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Stories told of a priest in the Philippines. He's an older man and somewhere early in his life, he'd committed a sin that he just couldn't forgive himself for. He'd prayed to God. He knew he was forgiven. But it just, it was there always. And he had a parishioner, an older lady come, and they were talking. And she said that she saw Jesus fairly frequently and spoke with him on occasion. And he said, would you do me a favor? She said, sure. When you talk to him, would you ask me what sin I committed when I was a young man? I think he's trying to kind of show her up just to make a point. She said, sure, I'll be happy to. A couple of weeks went by and they happened to bump into each other and he said, well, she says, well, well, what? Did, did you see Jesus? I, I did. Did Did you talk to him? Well, actually, I did. Did you ask him what sin I committed as a young man? She said, I did. Well, what did he say? She said, he looked at me and he said, I don't remember. My sins. Your sins, past, present, future, are forgiven. Then why do I need to pray, forgive me of my debts? They're already forgiven. Jesus answered that. The Last Supper, before they were sitting down, he grabbed a towel and a basin. And he started to wash the disciples' feet. And he got to Peter. Peter says, Whoa, you're not washing my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you're not part of me. And then Peter said, well, wash all of me. He says, if you've bathed, you're clean except for your feet. You and I commit sins every day that create barriers in our relationships between God and our fellow man. Those are the prayers that we're praying, forgive me of my debts. And when I look at the big picture and realize what God has forgiven me, I'm compelled to forgive others. I always wondered how we got these different terms, because if you visit a church and you're saying the Lord's Prayer, you get to this part, and you go, forgive us of our, and you kind of wait to hear, is this a debts church or is this a sin church? And it looks like you can trace that back to a couple of things. In Matthew, the Greek is lophelema, which is most closely related to debts. Physically, I owe something. 
In Luke 11, it's harmatia, more closely related to sin. And when they were doing those translations in the 1500s, some churches kind of landed down on this side, and some kind of landed down on this side. And there, there's some subtle differences, but for the most part, whether you're praying for your debts or your trans, transgressions or your sins, they're all about the same. And then it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's a man or a woman that's been in their closet praying to God. And they've prayed for forgiveness of their sins, their past. They're praying for the present tense. Give me this day. And they're praying for what's going to happen when they open that door. I'm going to be tested. I'm going to have confrontations. God, help me get through that. He's told us in 1 Corinthians that I will not tempt you. You will not have temptation that goes beyond your capabilities of dealing with that. And I will provide a way of escape. I think one of the challenges for all of us in this room this morning is do we want to be escaped? Sin is pleasurable for a season. We all have vulnerabilities. If you're honest with yourself, you know what those are. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's envy. But there's things in your life where you know that you are vulnerable. You've got a soft spot. And the challenge is, is one, you want to run from that. And so you want to try to avoid those circumstances where it might cause you to stumble. I've got a friend who's in the ministry. He admits he has a problem with pornography. When he travels, he does not turn the TV on in his hotel room for fear it might land on an HBO or X-rated show. Avoid the best you can your soft spots. But be prepared. Have a strategy when you encounter them. The psalmist writes, how can a young man... Keep his way pure. He says, He has treasured God's word in his heart that he might not sin against thee. Have a strategy when temptation arises. And then he concludes, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Most scholars think that doxology was added on. Jesus probably didn't say that, but it's a great way to finish that prayer. You start with God and you end with God. We started it a few minutes ago that we had a disconnect on the phone. Prayer is difficult. It's a difficult uh, dimension of our lives. We're to read, be in the Word. We're to pray. As disciplines, we're to share the word. We're to fellowship with one another. Those are our current spiritual disciplines. 
Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Honor me. Confess your sins specifically. The psalmist writes, search me, O God, and know my heart. You have the courage to open your heart up and allow God to search that. Pray strategically. I think one of the big issues of prayer for me personally is to listen. Probably most of us in this room can pray out some pretty good prayers. But when you're done, do you listen? Be still and know that I am God. My soul wait in silence for God only. He is my hope and my refuge. I've tried to do that. <laughs> it is hard work. As soon as I try to calm everything down and listen, I've got a hundred things. Bam. Prayer is hard work. Satan is at war with you. What can we offer God for all that he's done for us? And I think the message is clear in the Lord's Prayer. We are to hallow his name. We are to trust him and worship him, obey him and follow him and pray to the God, the omnipotent God of this universe. Life is what God has given us. What we do with our life is our gift back to him. Am I, are you hallowing his name? His name is the kingdom. His name is the power. His name is the glory forever. Amen.